Welcome to the Buy Box Bandits podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Buy Box Bandits podcast brought to you by all at Amazon and Plus for Miles. Today, we're joined by the magnificent Vanessa Hung, who helps out with a lot of stuff no one ever talks about with Amazon that we even, I think, talk about a little bit too little, right? Which is the basically account health and overall just managing like your Amazon business that isn't necessarily associated with like finding products and such, right? So we're excited to dive into what sellers are getting wrong and as well as just the overall idea of how your Amazon business can evolve into services and such that help Amazon sellers necessarily outside of just selling physical products as well. So thanks for joining us, Vanessa. And you want to fill us in a little bit on just how you got into the whole Amazon world and your story? Yeah, thank you so much for the invite. So everything started in 2017 when I started as an e-commerce manager. I'm basically working for a company that had multiple stores on Amazon, listing the products, like managing the catalog, managing the campaigns. So over there, I learned all of the things Amazon related. But I something that caught my attention and later passion was what I call the unsexy stuff. So the what you just stuff, said about yeah. the thing, yeah, the boring stuff, the things that nobody likes to talk about, also, um, the, you know, there was a space that I couldn't find content when I needed. So if I got an error in my catalog, the only place that you will go to is like Amazon forums. And oh, as you know, they're horrible. It's Yeah, it's just like people complaining and complaining and complaining. And I'm like, dude, can you give me some solutions? So as anything on Amazon, and I think that probably was your experience too, you learn from your own mistakes, right? So I, I manage a massive catalog. Uh, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of, of SKUs. So I got really good at flat files and all of those unsexy stuff, right? Um, and then when I got exposed to the community in South Florida, I realized that my expertise and my area that I was super passionate about was something that people were running away from. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, everybody likes to talk about like source products, the sexy branding, and you know how much money your your campaigns will make you, and those cool launches. But then nobody was saying like, "Hey, but I have actually a problem," or Amazon broke my listing, and that I saw an opportunity. I, I was like, I actually like this a lot. And I like to create content and I like to be an educator. So why don't I start creating content? So it started with just creating Amazon, uh, sorry, Instagram posts with super cool like graphics and designs. And that kind of blew up because again, there was nobody else talking about it. Right now there, there are more people, there's small, more awareness. And also I think that comparatively from 2017 to now 2024, the system, Amazon, has gotten so so much more complex than what it used to be, right? Like people keep talking about the, the Wild Wild West, I don't know, in 2017, 2015, and all of the, those times where you could do almost anything on Amazon. Well, that's right how now, Walmart is now, right? So it's kind of cool to see the, the transition. Yeah, um, and, and it will keep evolving. And one thing that I realized, I don't know, maybe like two years ago, is that Amazon is a game. And I like to say this all the time. Amazon is a game and the rules of the games are always changing. So if you are good at 
playing the same play all the time, like sourcing the cool products and selling it up, you know, for a margin or whatever. But then the other rules of the game are, are changing. You need to, you know, level up or, or, you know, change your business as well. Because if not, the moment something runs happening in the account, that's where everything will fall apart. And a lot of people don't know me or my content just because probably they don't have any issues until they do. So when they do, it's like, they come to me, it's like, oh my God, I have an issue. Before that, they probably, nobody's reading my posts about the, you know, like so long catalog issues and the errors in a flat file. I don't care, right? But then when they have the issue, it's like, oh my God, let me see where I can find the answers because seller forums, again, are not the best solution. So that's how everything transitioned to, from being the, this e-commerce manager of the company, then to start creating content, being freelancer and consulting, then creating an agency. And in the process, I also sold. Um, I did retail arbitrage, some wholesale, and started to launch two brands. Um, one of the brands was a pillow brand, went terribly. Um, you know, I didn't make it right in the first time with the profitability, so it was a massive failure. The second though was super nice. Uh, it was in the eco-friendly space and COVID hit and my supplier got shut down for a lot of months. And that was the same time that my business as an agency was like growing a lot. So I just decided to say like, you know what, I'm going to put a, a pause on the product and brand because I do think that building a brand on Amazon it's not a side hustle. And that's my opinion. Could be for some people will be like, yeah, that's passive income. I would like to, to see like a brand that is passive income. I haven't, you know, the exposure that I have to many, many brands and accounts and sellers, it tells me otherwise. And my own experience tells me otherwise. So yeah, my main focus right now is the agency, helping sellers, creating content. And I think in 2024, I'll probably start something else. Um, again, going back to the brand building, um, I think it's time um, and I'm excited about it. I have some key strategic partners that are looking to get into Amazon. So yeah, let's see where that goes. So to kind of kick us off here, Miles and I are kind of like in a unique position where we're in the front line, right? We're hearing a lot of the things that Amazon sellers bring to our attention. We interact with a lot of people on a daily basis. And I think from an always perspective a lot of things happen on the listing level that they don't necessarily know what to do with right so we're talking whether variations get separated where variations get split titles get changed descriptions get changed pictures get changed and a lot of times they're like they come to us with these questions and we don't necessarily know where to direct them how to react how to answer them so let's kind of start there in terms of like Immediate impact on OA sellers. That's probably the first one. And how should we be approaching that? How should we be answering those sorts of things? Yeah, so that's a that's a great question. And probably you won't like the answer. Just because if if we go back to the first principles, Amazon is not an e-commerce platform built for resellers. Okay, so if you let that sink, it's not built for resellers because they prioritize, and, and that will probably was a thing in the past. In 2024, their main priority are brands. Okay, so, so the prioritization in, the, in a catalog level, in the account health protection, brand registry, even inventory with the inventory fees, 
they are protecting brands. So for the OA model or, or retail arbitrage, uh, even, even some wholesale, the reseller, the ones that just list a SKU under a price and share the buy box with a bunch of people, don't have the ability to go to a listing and fix an issue, even if they know how to do it. The system is not built for them to do so. Why? Because if you think about it, Amazon is trying to protect that brand from malicious players to come in and just like make changes and, you know, mess up with the branding. And one time I met with one Amazon representative uh, from, from Seattle, and he was saying that that is their biggest priority in the catalog team and the way they're building brand registry. They don't like when resellers are creating, you know, secondary listings. And, and generic, I have put in a lot of content. Thing. Yeah, the generic yeah. one. So with the generic one, it was so funny because it was brought to me by a friend that is in the wholesale business. He wanted to sell that generic product. It was like a, uh, a toothbrush. And I created a post and I'm like, my like I, I said something like my friends in in the resale model they're so happy because now they can list brand name items under generic and they're allowed and even they're somehow protected which is so funny uh but you know other players can't get in if you look that on a brand perspective that's terrible that's terrible for for the brand and that's terrible for amazon reputations because you start getting into you know a marketplace that looks a lot like what eBay will look like, you know, like having a bunch of listings of the same product, and that's not a great shopping experience. So to answer, and I know this is not a specific answer to your question, but the reality is there is very, very, very little an OA seller could do to fix something like a variation got splitted because they don't have ownership on the listing. They don't own the, the yeah, the listing, the content, not even the brand. So it is a game, in my opinion, for resellers of very passive. Uh, you are kind of a victim of what happened to the listing or what happens to the buy box. Even when you know Amazon gets into the buy box and lowers the price by 90%, then you are a victim of it. And there is very little you can do to move that inventory or, you know, unless you sell it at a loss. So that's how my answer to the, the sellers that are coming to you with those questions will be like, I, I understand what, you, what you're facing because it happens to me all the time, but you need to understand that this is the game you're playing. You need to also understand the risk, right? If I tell you, listen, you're playing a game and the game is not designed for you to play, I don't know, let's say swimming, you don't know how to swim, but you wanna go in a, in a swimming competition, you will sink. Okay, bear in mind that like have that in consideration where you're getting into a listing and you don't have control. That's on your own risk. You could still make millions of dollars because I do have friends that are in the OA, uh, even some sometimes even drop shipping still on Amazon that make millions of dollars, but they are aware of the risk of that business model. Uh, so if you're fine with it, you know, with your level of, of risk tolerance, then keep doing what you're doing. But don't try to, or, or don't fall victim of the system when something goes wrong. There's nothing you can do, unfortunately, as, yeah. a, as an OA seller.
Yeah. And that's the interesting trade-off, right? Because when you're doing OA or R, even wholesale, right, you assume so much less of the, the upfront risk in terms of building the brand, making the product, mm -hmm. creating the listing, you know, descriptions, et cetera. Right. But then on the flip side, right, as you aren't the one who created the product, you have less control in terms of if those things happen. And luckily, you know, I've definitely seen seller support be helpful with that stuff and everything, but that's why over time we always, always, always preach, you know, moving up the food chain, right? And then you want to get started the least risky way with the least upside, right? RA, right? Which you have less risk, therefore you have less upside, right? And then OA, and then ideally most people's long-term play, at least in my opinion, should be the wholesale side of things and depending on how far they want to take it, right? Private label as well and such. Um, on the just like uh, overall from like from like an OAR wholesale perspective, what are some things either whether whether it be like metrics or sections of like account health or something like that that you think think sellers aren't doing that they should be setting aside time for like monthly or weekly to go ahead and deal with that could lead to issues down the line from a preventative measure. I really like that question. I'll say that right now, and I don't know if you saw that. It, it, it was something that was updated a few weeks ago. I don't know if it months ago, but right now Amazon is allowing a, a multiple contributors on a listing's images. So you could have, let's say that you're in a, in a listing where you're sharing it with five people and the listing doesn't have great images. So right now as a reseller, you could upload images for that listing that they could be fantastic images. Like, if you, if you take the time and the work to, to make some infographics, some lifestyle, some, you know, hero images that are like amazing for that specific product, then if you upload that content, it is very possible right now, because Amazon just changed the system pretty recently, that your images will be taken in consideration to be the images showing in the listing. So on that level, and this is where sometimes Amazon makes decisions that are conflicting with what they say, uh, that is not for the best of a brand, because if you're, you're giving now control to the reseller to make this, but at the same time, uh, and, and in my experience doing, doing arbitrage, most brands that you find opportunities in arbitrage, they are not on Amazon, meaning they didn't create that listing. So they are, that's like a blind spot for them. So if you can come in and start doing that and say like, hey, I'm going to invest this time to make amazing images, maybe, you know, do the on pro uh, photography yourself and pay somebody to make amazing images or, or invest in somebody. I don't know what, what you want, what route you want to take, but doing that will make you win what it's called contribution privilege. So on a, on a catalog level, when you have contribution privilege in a listing, it means that your uh, input or, or your changes will take relevancy on a listing that not, it's not necessarily your brand name and you don't have the brand registry for. So I always tell, tell resellers, if you invest in those inputs, right now it's images, you can also go a step further and say like, let's just input the input a better title with more keywords um, or something like that, then that could also make you win uh, contribution points. But on the other side of things, that is an activity that takes time. Even if you do, if, even if you do images, it will probably cost you some money. So you really know, you really need to know what's your long-term play there. And 
to your point, Miles, going upstream and saying like the ultimate game is probably going reselling or, or sorry, wholesaling, uh, uh, what you call it. I think right now, even that model is kind of going a step further and doing what I call right now brand management. Well, I was hoping because, you were going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. Neat, yeah, neat. Okay. Because, because they do that. Like right now, hitting up a distributor and say like, yo, I want to sell you what you're selling. You and 500 <laughs> other people in my email inbox. Exactly. And, and some people are like, I will sell you the blueprint of the best email that will convert the most amount of distributors. I'm still yet to see one that really works because I think all of them say the same. Yeah, but, you can only get across you, so much in like 140 characters, whatever it is, a couple sentences, a paragraph. Yes. So if you say, okay, my long-term game is this reselling model through wholesale, I'm, and I'm going to go direct to the brand. If you ask me, the first step to start is getting those contribution privilege and even getting to the, the images to change because you did such an amazing work that the algorithm right now works to put the best content out there on the listing. It's not even who has the contribution rights. It's just who has the best content and we're going to put it up. Um, so when you get there, let's say that you're working, uh, working with a brand name that you've been reselling for a long time just because you found them on retail or OA or wholesale, whatever. You find them, you, you change the listing, you make it better. Now you can go to them and you have a conversation. Now it's like, listen. You probably don't know this, but your products are on Amazon. And you also don't know this, that this listing or, or these images, I created and I submitted it. And I have control of your images on Amazon. So I would like to get in a conversation with you because I would like to manage your brand. Now that's a completely different conversation versus saying like, yo, I want to buy your stuff. Uh, or sell your stuff, whatever, um, which which is very much the conversation that a lot of resellers, um, I guess, communities have. It's just like, oh, just just tell them what you want to do. And I'm like, um, I don't I don't think that works anymore. Um, I mean, it's you versus hundred thousand other people that are in their email, as you mentioned. Um, so brand management is important, and with that will come a lot of complexities that regular resellers don't know about. So when you're responsible for to do the brand management, it's not only about the images. Now, if you even get to close a deal with a brand that gives you the privilege to manage their brand registry, now you need to put the hat of a brand owner, right? And, me, and, and being a brand owner, you have ownership of brand registry. You have, that allows you to have so many different programs, like advertising in a better way, doing like sponsor campaign, you have tailored audiences. Right now you can even do email campaigns with your customers on Amazon. Like if somebody, for example, put the, your product on the catalog, sorry, put the product on their card, but they didn't purchase, they didn't close that thing. You can email them a few days later and say like, hey, this is a coupon for you to, to, to finish or, or to close that deal. So there is a whole world that will open for you if you decide to go into the, reselling model where you partner with brands and you start doing brand management wholesale by itself by buying to a wholesaler and then selling it selling it for a little bit more i don't know if that's the right path anymore uh, just because i don't see that as a long-term play 
you could still make money. And don't get me wrong, like in 2024, you can still make money doing so. But bear in mind that if you're planning to be in this business for 20 more years, uh, that's probably not what you're going to be doing in 20, not even in two years, right? Um, and if we get started to talk about the inventory fees, and I don't know if you guys have discussed anything about this at all in your community, but uh, we wrote a white paper, uh, Chelsea Cohen, the founder of um, SoStock, an inventory management tool, and myself in collaboration with Carbon6, we did this white paper explaining really in depth every single fee and what's the impact on the account. And I will give you a hint. One thing that will kill the most sellers in 2024, it won't be the higher like FBA fees or the higher storage fees, none of that. It will be the inbound fees. So right now, they're going to implement, I think it goes live on March 1st. Yeah, um, March 1st. It's, yeah. yeah, the inbound placement fee. So they're going to charge you per unit on a unit level. They're going to charge <laughs> you to ship inventory to a specific warehouse and in a specific region. So depending on where your regions are, and they divide the country in four different regions, like I guess uh, East Coast, West Coast, and the middle, they divide it in two. I don't know, whatever. Um, depending on where you send the inventory, you will have a different inbound shipment, uh, in, inbound placement fee. But also on the other side, if you don't decide to pay that fee, then you're shipping uh, fees, like the, the label, let's say from your partner carrier will, or, and, and I don't know if you've seen these examples in social media, they're already like coming out. They are almost like 10 times, 20 times what it will cost or, or what is costing you right now. So a shipment that it used to cost you $150 to ship, maybe in after this fee comes alive, it will cost you $500. So if you're not accounting that on your profitability, you're going to have a lot of issues because even though you lock an amazing deal with this distributor or even with the brand, right? You have the source of the best deal, best price in the market ever. Shipping it to FBA will be a problem. So two things that you could do here, obviously work on your unique economics and say like, okay, if it's going to cost me five times more to send this inventory, will, will I still be profitable? And if you're not, you need to start looking into options for FBM. Love it. And, yeah. and that will be very painful for a lot of people. Because many are used to the FBA model of like, I never touch the inventory. No, nah, not like, our I people. Never do our, yeah, our people love the FBM well. Yeah, our, our people okay. love about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so those FBM will be probably a huge thing now. And on a macro level of things, uh, and, you know, I like to see these patterns and how the ecosystem just move. Um, there are so many players like TikTok shops right now, Timu or Temu or however you pronounce that. Yep, yep. Um, it was like four that, of those commercials on the Super Bowl. Do you see? Oh this? my, yeah. dude, the same Amazing. one too. Yeah, same, yeah, yeah. Same, yeah. same, same, same. Uh, but they they ship inventory like when you purchase something, you have like a delivered date of like two weeks. So if that's becoming the norm, and and if, even if customers are you know, purchasing and saying like, yeah, whatever, I'll wait two weeks, I want the deal. Maybe that's something that 
for the FBM seller in FBA, you may be, you may be a little bit more expensive, uh, but way under like, I don't know, two weeks and that'll still be okay for the customer. So on a macroeconomic level, I think right now we're going to start seeing a shift on the level of tolerance people will have to have to get products or understand that they will need to pay more. That's, that's the thing. That, that's the difference. So I see how in the, in the whole scheme of things, the buy box price will probably go up just because it's costing the seller more to get it to FBA. But that will allow the gap to say like, okay, maybe the FBM listing will could win some some game there and say like, okay, now if you wait, I don't know, six days, I'll, I'll ship it to you for cheaper. Um, so there are solutions. And I think as entrepreneurs, it's our kind of duty to fix the problems. And I, if, if this is your primary source of income, you better get to work and better get to find the solutions because if not, uh, I mean, so many people will be out of business if they don't. Yeah. yeah. And that's the interesting thing is if you consider like, obviously certain things get harder every year, at least on the OA side of things, like it is substantially easier to even than like four years ago. Like for those of you guys listening, like OA didn't even really exist in the same capacity just because no one could get ungated back in the day. Right. So that's like a wildly different thing these days. And then like FBM is so much more of a thing than it used to be because Amazon used to really have it together pre-COVID in the warehouses with Prime and that completely messed that up. That made FBM a lot more of a thing because Amazon needed more stock just in the market in general. So they made on gating a thing and then FBM got easier and such. And I really liked, and that comes back to kind of what we were saying in the intro as well. You were talking about like the brand management side of things for wholesale in the future. That's essentially selling a service, right? Rather than like transactionally buying products. And we were talking off camera about how I love the way you built like a unique business serving a niche for sellers. And Garrett and I have mentioned in the past how there's all types of gaps open in the market, whether it be like softwares or whether it be like in accounting service or with somebody who's really loud in the community, et cetera. So how do you think about evolving beyond just being an Amazon seller, right? Because I think a lot of people uh, pigeon pigeonhole themselves and whether it be don't talk in the community enough to have the chance to evolve and sell a service in the future if they want to, right? Or they just consider themselves an Amazon seller with the employee mindset that, all right, this is just what I do. It's what I'm going to do the next 20 years, right? So how do you think about evolving beyond being an Amazon seller, whether that means like selling a service within the community or just finding problems to solve, you know, that aren't just selling products? I guess that it's a retrospective activity on the seller to sit down and, and look for the things that they're amazing at, right? And I actually had dinner the other day with uh, the VP of, of one big, uh, I don't think they're an aggregator, but you know, uh, a company that have multiple brands. And they were saying like, yeah, we've been doing a bunch of things in-house and we've been so successful at doing it like so well that people start asking us what is that we're doing that make us so successful. So they are now transitioning to be a service as well, like a service provider too. It's not only selling the product, but also the service. Yeah, more so cash if, flow if efficient, cash up front, right? You got thinking about this stuff, you know? Yeah. So looking at the things that you're great at, and, and especially I'll say for services, it's not only the things that you're great at, but also the things that you understand really well. 
because if you understand accounting really well, probably you're an accountant, you went to school for that, and then you end up like selling on Amazon and not exercising your career or anything, then you're like, okay, man, there is so many people that struggle with taxes and, and especially understanding the, the, the Amazon model because on a, on a tax level, you know, Amazon pays you every two weeks or they charge you so much for fees, but you don't really know what is it. Like so many intricacies on that area that if somebody will start a business there, the first thing that I'll say, you probably, and, and going back to my first thought, I don't necessarily think that you need to be the absolute best at because that's a very high bar to set for yourself, but you really need to be the person that knows really well the problem. So if you know really well the problem and you understand really well the potential solution, then you're onto something. And this could start even with, you know, something as simple as helping other people to start their business, creating an LLC. Like I still get people sometimes messaging me that wanted to start an Amazon that don't have an LLC. Like, and, and I know that LLC is like super easy to, to file. I you can even do it yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know? exactly. Yeah. So if you can sell that service, I don't know, for $500, I don't know what price, but for $500, then you already have a side business, right? And then you layer that up of like, oh, I can also help people to apply for their trademark. You don't necessarily need to be a lawyer. You can do it yourself. So if you start really well the process, then you can even start offering that. So there are so many areas, and that's what I love about Amazon. It's such a complex system. It's so big that I think the opportunity is not only in the selling, it's also on the service providing of you know things. 100%. And if, right, 1,000%, yeah. And if you want some in inspiration for that, what I invite you for the community that you could do right now, and it's completely free, obviously, uh, you can go to the SPN network. So the se service provider network that Amazon has, and you can you can uh, see all of the different categories that they, they have for the different service uh, that they partner with and they offer. And you could see like, guys, if you go there, you will find so many companies that you have never, ever, ever in your life have heard about before, like random people. So it's also another thing that I'm very aware of is that I'm, a, I guess that I'll like, I'm a very public figure in the community, but then I realized that the community or the public that I speak to is very small. Like the amount of sellers in the world is so big. We're talking about millions and millions of people. And I know not all of them know about me or even about the people in my circle. And I met with one guy one day, um, he's from Spain and he has like an accounting service actually. And I was telling him, yeah, yeah, you should partner with this person and that person, that's over and this. And, and I was speaking and he's like, I don't know anybody that you just mentioned. And then when he was telling me about the people he knows, I was like, I have no clue who they are. So this is where, you know, I feel that even if you think that there is a business that was already created, like, man, like that accounting service sounds great, but I think like 10 million other people are doing it. doesn't matter because there are so many, so many sellers that you don't really cannibalize anybody or, or, or compete in a sense, right? Like, and that's also an, an abundance mindset. Oh, uh, yeah. that you need to have. Yep. So have to have to. Yeah. Um, and that's just a good like macro business lesson in general, too, in terms of, like just looking at how other people are making money. Right. You know, and, and uh, the big thing you mentioned, right, like 
you know, being a figure in the space, right? No one starts as one, right? You have to put yourself out there. Exactly, right? And give yourself a chance to get it, right? But the key is that that's something Garrett did, I did, you did, right? We've given ourselves a chance to get lucky, right? Most people haven't. We've given ourselves a chance to get, you know, someone might have DM'd you back in the day, yo, like, I don't really know what to do with this brand I'm making. And then you were like, oh, wow, this person needs it. Maybe other people need it or something like that, right? Some light bulb went off. You've given yourself a chance to get that exposure, that surface area block, right? Most people haven't. So as we're finishing up here, as someone who probably has talked to more, let's call it Amazon entrepreneurs, both on small level and big level than vast amount of other people, what are just some of the differences you've seen between the massively successful people who build a private label empire Meanwhile, maybe compared to some of the resellers who haven't been seeing as much success that you've talked to at, at some of these conferences we've seen you at and such, right? Talk about the big difference between big and small sellers and some of like the traits you see of people who really do it well. Okay, honest opinion. I think the the ones that are still not in the high level are because they, I guess they take things too personal. So I, I think in business, and I'll say this as my, as my story. When I started my brand, my first brand, the, the Pillow brand, it was terrible. It, it went so wrong. And it crushed me in a way that I was like, I thought I was a, such a failure. As a person and though, like not the business, a, like you as a person. Oh my gosh, I've yeah, been there so much. Yeah, I, was, I was like, how can I be speaking like to sellers? and create content when I'm such a failure, right? So also understanding that that business is an emotional game. So from my point of view, the most successful, the the massively successful business owners that I met in my my journey, uh, they have one thing in common, is that they even though they love their business and and it gives them a lot of energy because you know that's that's what they do the business is not them and i've been guilty of of putting my identity fully on what i do so i bet you take a lot of pride of saying like yeah and i, I am an amazon seller but are you really i think what we should be talking about is that i am a business owner and i do amazon but I could do so many other things. So separate yourself like that, your persona with the business. It's something that is an emotional work. And, and to the, like, I still don't know what's the right answer, but uh, sometimes, yeah, we take it so personally. And because of that, we face limitations in the business that are solely your mental limitations. Like if you don't believe in yourself, that your business will grow to $100 million, you will never grow to $100 million, period. So I've learned that the hard way. And also one day, this, this it was a realization that day. I was talking to my team. We were selling some like a, a, one service in the agency. And I told my, my marketing person, I was like, hey, do you think we could sell this to 5,000 people? And she told me no. That day, we, yeah, we left the call, and then I just sat down, and I'm like, I think the problem here is that we don't believe we can do it. So the moment that you believe you can do it, that's the moment that you will find the resources and you find the way to do it. So that's on the successful part of what I seen. The people that I admire are the ones that will say like. 
I will do it and I'll find a way. I don't really care about the other factors. So, and also separate themselves if, if there is any failure. The business failed, but you didn't. Like you as an entrepreneur, you didn't. Actually, and I don't know if that's your experience, but you know, the failures in my business have been the biggest and best lessons. Like if you fail in a business, that's better than paying an MBA in Harvard. Dude, you know so much more than the bros, like the finance bros that go to Harvard because you actually did it. And it hurts so bad that you, I don't know, you integrate the knowledge in such a different way. Uh, so, I mean, that's a long answer and it's probably not a step-by-step thing of like, this is what you need to do. It's like, you have to believe that you can do it before other people buy from you or before even you can sell something. So, yeah, I don't know. That's probably very philosophical, but that's the that's the pattern that I've seen in the most successful people that I know. Yeah, and just I think that uh, like is is a huge part of right because if you believe you can do it, you'll stick around long enough to start to dig into those random nuances to start to get the DM from this person. Then you get on the Zoom call, then you get the Discord invite. You know, you start to give yourself a chance to get lucky the longer you stick around, right? And you know, even on a like a reseller, which is like the smallest smallest level, I'd say you got to stick around at least like six to twelve months to give yourself a shot at figuring it out, right? Like I love to see the statistic. I was mentioned this on another pod on like the the seller who stick around for like three months versus like 12 months minimum, like the success rate's gotta be like 10X higher, 30X higher, something like that, right? Just because you got so much longer to figure it out, right? And such, and the time's gonna pass regardless. You might as well be playing games that it's gonna get better the longer you stick with it and such. Cool, so we really appreciate you coming on. Do you want uh, mind letting everyone know where they can follow you on social media and then the service you got as well? Sure, so... Follow on Instagram is at is Vanessa Hong. Uh, we put right now not as much content there because my favorite social media and where I put the most amount of content is on LinkedIn. So if you are a person that is looking to get into a service provider side, go to LinkedIn. Even if you don't know, if even if you don't have anything to sell, LinkedIn is a place where all of us, all of the service providers are talking about. And sometimes our pain points are opportunities for other people to create, you know, uh, businesses. Uh, you know, even uh, we, we were talking before we started the podcast about the BA staffing and, and assistance. And I was, telling, like, I was telling you, like, I'm not an expert in that, but I will definitely will talk to somebody that is because I need those services. So in, in on LinkedIn is Vanessa Hong. Um, yeah, you can connect with me, follow me. Every day I put content out there. Uh, also, the website of my agency is onlinesellersolutions.com. Uh, we have a nice blog over there if you want to learn something different. It's probably long-form blogs that are a, bit, a little bit more complex and unsexy, as I mentioned at the beginning. But you will find probably some answers there. And if you ever want to reach out for a question, I'm always happy to talk to any entrepreneur that is interested. Um, it's Vanessa at onlinesellersolutions.com. Um, yeah, that's basically, and if you go to any events, because I go to a lot of events, if you go to any events, I would love to meet in person. Um, actually somebody in the community, in the reselling community, reach out because they're going to be at ASD. I'm going to be at ASD like in a few weeks. So if you're there, hit me up. Uh, we can meet coffee, walk, walk the floor. Uh, I'll always talk, love to talk to, uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah. Sweet. Cool. All right. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on and go check out what, uh, Vanessa's putting out and such. And I really appreciate you coming in. And thanks everyone for listening as well.